All right, folks. Uh, happy July the 23rd, 2021. This is Pastor's Point of View, number 174. Um, I'm back with my good friend, colleague, fellow elder, associate pastor, Dr. Jim McGowan. My name is Dr. Andy Woods. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. And we're back at you today with another cultural slash uh, prophecy update. Yes, sir. You know, we have we've sort of gotten away from current events, and sometimes you need a break. That's true, <laughs> because we were doing some Fourth of July teachings, and then the last couple we've done a Q and A. Yeah, um, good stuff though. Yeah, all important stuff. But here is our outline that we're going to use: is we're going to bring to you today this prophecy update, and you see all the different subjects we're going to go through as fast as we can. Oh boy! But the the first thing. We want to talk about here, Brother Jim, is um, anti-Semitism. I'm going to define anti-Semitism as an irrational hatred for the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I like that. And we know that it is prophetically significant because we've got a couple of verses in the book of Zechariah that tell us about anti-Semitism as something critical in the last days. What does yes. Zechariah 12, verse 3 say? Zechariah 12, verse 3, out of a New American Standard 95 update, says, It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. So it's very clear prophetically. And by the way, we're going to be starting to teach the book of Zechariah at our midweek service beginning in September. But it's very clear from Zechariah's prophecy that the day will come when all peoples and all nations will come against the Hebrews. Yes. The physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And just a couple of chapters later, Zechariah, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, predicts the same thing in Zechariah 14 and verse 2. What does, all that, right. what yes, does that say? Zechariah 14, 2, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. So it's very clear, all the nations against Jerusalem. Very clear. Yes. And, you know, if you look at this uh, slide here, it's got Judea and Samaria, that brown area. Yes. <laughs> that was a territory that the nation of Israel won in a, self, a war of self-defense, June the 5th, um, 1967. Mm -hmm. And we believe, along with the... Uh, 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 the Accords, and now, of course, it's as we're going live, it, it escapes me what accord it was. It, uh, no, in 1920, um, those Balfour, no, no, those those accords were entered into anyway. It'll it'll come to me in just a second. Um, but but what's no, not Oslo and not Abraham, <laughs> don't don't stop panic. helping, yeah, it'll, it'll come to me in just a second. 1920, it was named after a particular hotel that they met in, but. It'll come to me. But anyway, this territory was given to the nation of Israel legally. Mm -hmm. 
And then there was a war of self-defense in 1967 where they won this territory that was already theirs legally. Yes. And so the whole name of the game in the international community is to call that territory illegal territory. Yes. Occupied territory. Disputed territory. Essentially what they're arguing is the nation of Israel is doing something illegal on that territory. Mm Mm-hmm. And essentially what the world community is doing is they are engaging in boycott, divestment, and sanctions, Mm -hmm. otherwise called BDS, against Israel to give up that territory that they believe was stolen, you know, which it wasn't stolen. How do you steal something that God gave you? Yeah, and beyond that, God gave it to him in the. I Abraham, thought we might want to go back to that, right? In the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. So from the from the theological level, it's theirs. From yeah. the human level, it's theirs. Exactly. But the world community doesn't think that, and the whole name of the game is to get Israel to relinquish, you know, that territory. Right. By the way, you can see what would happen if Israel was to relinquish that territory. <laughs> it would reduce Israel's width. To less than 10 miles. Imagine that. And by the way, my pilot friends tell me it takes at least 10 miles, you know, to shoot down an incoming plane. Mm -hmm. So if Israel were to give up that territory, you know, essentially um, she would be defenseless. Exactly. And so that's the conflict in the international community. Mm. And just when you think that ice cream was innocent... I mean, who, who you could, scream ice cream? We all scream for ice cream. I mean, cream? what what could be wrong with ice cream, particularly Ben and Jerry's? Well, well I'm a bluebell man myself. <laughs> well, here we have this article from the New York Post um, by Will Fewer. I guess is how you say that. July the nineteenth, two thousand and twenty, and the title of it is Ben and Jerry's stops selling ice cream. In the West Bank amid protests. You just can't make this stuff right. up, can you? And, 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 and this is, we bring this up because this is part of the BDS movement. Right. All right. And, here's and, the, and if I can just add this, yeah. we believe it's contributing, these kind of things are contributing to the anti-Semitism that the Bible predicts for the last days. Absolutely. So, and that's why we'd include this in a prophecy update. Yeah. And, and, and it, on, on one level, it seems kind of silly, but it, but they're even going after ice cream now. So Ben and Jerry's caved to pressure by online protesters and announced Monday it would put the freeze on selling ice cream in the occupied Palestinian territory, drawing fury from Israelis, including recently ousted Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We believe it is inconsistent, quoting now, we believe it is inconsistent with our values for Ben and Jerry's ice cream to be sold in the occupied Palestinian territory, close quote. The company said in a statement, quoting again, we have a long-standing partnership with our licensee who manufactures Ben and Jerry's ice cream in Israel and distributes it in the region, close quote. The Waterbury, Vermont-based company said in a statement. Again, quoting, we have been working to change this, and so we have informed our licensee that we will not renew the license agreement when it expires at the end of next year, close quote. So here is Ben and Jerry's jumping in on one of the most controversial issues of our day, saying that Israel doesn't have a right to that territory 
flippantly hmm. called the West Bank. Yes. By the way, Brother Jim, I've been reading my Bible a long time. I can't find the words West Bank in the Bible. I've never seen it. And beyond that, when we use the expression West Bank, we're taking a side. Because yes. that territory, mm-hmm. Samaria and Judea, which is the biblical name for it, is to the west of Jordan. Mm-hmm. So when you say West Bank, you're giving the Jordanian perspective. Yes. When you look at it from the Israeli territory, that territory is east of Israel. That's exactly right. So the name of the game in the BDS movement is to pretend that Israel is an apartheid state. She's oppressing mm-hmm. people that mm-hmm. are there. Right. She's in that territory illegally. And let's engage in BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions to get rid of this apartheid state mm-hmm. and her illegal occupation, just like we did with South Africa. Yeah. And that's the information war that's going on here. Well, and Lord knows that if you attack the ice cream, that's really going to change <laughs> things, isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe not. But the fact of the matter is Ben and Jerry, something as innocent as ice cream, is now involved in the BDS movement. Yes, nuts. Um, and Ben and Jerry's has a history of doing this kind of thing. Notice this quote from Ben and Jerry's as they got involved with the cancel culture movement here in the United States. And before you read that, I just want to get across the point that the argument that's being made against Israel, that Israel is an apartheid state, an illegal state, a racist state, uh, a nation that stole property from somebody else, a nation that's doing something illegal, all lies, by the way. Yes. Those are the identical arguments now being used against the current existence of the United States. That's right. They're saying the same thing about us. And that's what all this critical race theory is about. You know, America exists because we built it off the backs of the slaves, Mm -hmm. and we need to redistribute the wealth back. And, of course, Marxists are using this to bring in their utopia over the United States. Mm -hmm. But you'll notice that Ben and Jerry's had something to say about the issue here in America, just like they had something to say about the issue over in Israel. Yeah. Here's what they say. The murder of Dante Wright is rooted in white supremacy and results from the intentional criminalization of black and brown communities. This system can't be reformed. See, you notice that Ben and Jerry's in this tweet, they're not going after an individual racist. Right. Right. Which I would have no problem with. Not at all. But you'll notice that in this tweet, they're going after the system. Some system, right? See, it's not just the police officer that killed George Floyd that was a racist Mm -hmm. in their minds. If they stop there, that's fine. But they're saying the whole police department, not just in that part of the country, but all over the nation is systemically racist. Therefore, we need to tear down all the statues, Mm -hmm. rewrite our history. And that's called critical race theory. And you'll notice that Ben and Jerry's is involved in this. What they said about the United States, uh, they're now saying about... Judea and Samaria. So they're engaging in the BDS movement and they are contributing to a mindset where all the nations will come against Israel in the last days. Prophesied. Yeah. Hundreds of years ago. That's right. So you'll notice what Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, the outgoing prime minister of Israel, tweeted recently about Ben and Jerry's. 
You, you You're ready for this? Yes, I am. All right, here's what he said. I love this guy. He says, now we Israelis know which ice cream not to buy. <laughs> and so what he's doing is he's saying, let's boycott the boycotters. Yeah. Turnabout fair play, I guess. Let's divest from the divesters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I want to join him in that effort. I support him. So here we go, folks. Uh, last day's anti-Semitism in this prophecy update, bringing to your attention something as simple as ice cream yeah. uh, is now involved in the last day's anti-Semitism. Am, am I missing anything as uh, I'm trying to critique this? No, it's just hard not to, not to just want to laugh out loud as you read this stuff. Yes. So yes. It's, it's insanity. Yes. Now, speaking of insanity, we come to number two here. <laughs> a good segue. Yeah, it's a very good segue because <clears throat> the last uh, couple tweets ago, not the Netanyahu tweet, but the Ben and Jerry's tweet, we see how they're involved in critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And critical race theory is being used to completely change the United States of America. And it's being used, as I speak, to push creationism out of the school system completely Mm -hmm. and to only teach evolution. Because now we have an article from the Scientific American written July the 5th, 2021, arguing that trying to teach creationism alongside evolution is nothing more than racism. Goodness. So if you are a non-evolutionary creationist, you are actually a racist. Mm -hmm. And critical race theory is actually being used now to um, teach evolution as a monopoly in the public schools. Mm -hmm. So here's this article. It's entitled, and this is from uh, Scientific American. Mm. Denial of evolution is a form of white supremacy. As museums reopen, let's, re- let's introduce ourselves and our children to the original black ancestors of all human beings. What does that article wow. say? <laughs> I want to unmask the lie that evolution denial is about religion and recognize that at its core, it is a form of white supremacy that perpetuate segregation and violence against black bodies. Under the guise of religious freedom, the legalistic wing of creationists loudly insists that their point of view deserves equal time in the classroom. Since education in the United States is constantly on the defensive against anti-evolutionary or anti-evolution activists who want biblical stories to be taught as fact, In fact, the first wave of legal fights against evolution was supported by the Klan in the 1920s. Ever since then, entrenched racism and the ban on teaching evolution in the schools have gone hand in hand. In his piece, What We Got Wrong About the Evolution Debate, Adam Shapiro argues that, quoting, The history of American controversies over evolution has long been entangled with the history of American educational racism, close quote. We have seen some progress in the classroom. From 2007 to 2019, the percentage of teachers who present evolution without creation alternative grew dramatically from only 51% to 67%. But it's still not enough. 
My hope is that if we make the connection between creationism and racist ideology clearer, we will provide more ammunition to get science into the classroom and into our culture at large. So they're tagging all of us that are anti-evolutionary and pro-creationists as racists in the scientific American. So, so critical race theory is being used to reshuffle hmm. American society right down to determining what view of origins are going to be taught. All evolution, hmm. no creationism, hmm. nothing to alert the kids to the fact that maybe evolution is a theory and a poor theory at that. And if you want to interject such evidence into the scientific classroom, then you're doing it because you're a racist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you add to that? Uh, well, I'm just looking at this last sentence I just read here. It's interesting to me that, you know, they're saying now that, cre that this supposed imaginary connection between creationism and racist ideology, that's now science in the classroom. Yeah. Which is nothing more than theory. Say what? Yeah. And, and very bad theory <laughs> yes, at that. Yes, exactly. Now, they're trying to argue that our interpretation of the Bible, our interpretation of the curse on Canaan, Genesis mm. 9, is somehow racist. And if you want to know the truth about the curse on Canaan, going back to Genesis 9, mm -hmm. we've done several sermons on yes. that in our... Yes. Uh, Sunday morning teaching. Very so we stuff. would encourage people to go back and listen to that to demonstrate that people that argue racism on blacks in America from the curse on Canaan are misusing the Bible. Completely. But this article wants us to make, <clears throat> make everyone believe that we're all racist because we believe in this you know, curse on Canaan, which they think is the black race. Now, yeah. I very much appreciate what Arnold Fruchtenbaum says here in his commentary on the book of Genesis. All right. Quoting Dr. Fruchtenbaum, in some circles in preceding times, it was taught that the curse of Canaan was upon the Negro or the black race, which is simply not true to the text. <laughs> While it is true that blacks are the descendants of Ham, not all descendants of Ham were black-skinned people. <laughs> Only one of Ham's sons was cursed, and that was Canaan. And it is known from the Egyptian portrayals of the Canaanites that the Canaanites were not black-skinned. <laughs> they were white, or it would be more correct to say olive-skinned. Therefore, black skin has nothing to do with this curse. Yeah. And the curse of Canaan is not biblical grounds for the enslavement of blacks. So Ham sinned against Noah. Noah turned around and put a curse not on all of Ham's descendants, but on Canaan. Exactly. I think he was Ham's fourth son. Mm-hmm. So with all of that being said, if you want to use Genesis 9 to argue that blacks in the United States are inferior to whites, then number one, you're on the wrong continent mm -hmm. because that curse was placed on those on, in a very narrow strip of real estate exactly. in the land of Israel. Yes. And number two, the people living in that narrow strip of real estate, which would eventually become the nation of Israel weren't even black-skinned. Exactly. So you're on the wrong continent. 
and you've got the wrong skin color. It's the same old thing we've said before. You know, repeat a lie enough yeah. times and people believe it. Right. So people can try to use the Bible to argue for racism, but the Bible in and of itself is teaching no such thing. No. Yet this article from Scientific American <laughs> wants the world to believe that we're really the racists. Yeah. Now, who are the racists, Brother Jim? Well, it's just a matter of going back <laughs> to 1859 and looking at the full title of Charles Darwin's infamous book, mm -hmm. The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection. Yep. And it's very interesting, if, as you get beyond the original edition, they've cut out, have you noticed, the yes, subtitle? Sir. They sure did. But let's remind our <clears throat> viewers what the full title of that book is. The full title of the book is The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. So, actually, it was Darwin that was the racist. Yes, it was. Because Darwin said white people have evolved higher than black people. Mm hmm Mm -hmm. And that's why the subtitle of his book, which conveniently gets snipped, mm -hmm. it's interesting how Darwin never gets canceled. No. They cancel no. the Bible yes, based on a perverted reading of it, but they mm -hmm. don't cancel Darwin. Right. Uh, Darwin basically gave or put into place the philosophical basis for racism because if you believe evolution is true, which we don't, we believe we're all made in God's image right. by a creator, but if you believe evolution is true... Then you could also, from that, argue that one race is not as sophisticated or not as evolved as another race. Mm -hmm. Now, biblical creationism won't let you allow, allow you to argue that. Absolutely not. But evolution does. And so this article yeah. from Scientific American arguing that creationism and creationists are racist, it's, it's like uh, it's 180 degrees wrong. Yep, that's right. I mean, it couldn't be more off. <clears throat> It's not the Bible that's racist. It's a perverted reading of the Bible. Right. And beyond that, it's actually Darwin, based on the subtitle of his book, that put into place the philosophical basis for racism. Right. Something that biblical creationism does not allow. What would you add to that? Well, the thing that's interesting is you're, you've always had people who were racist in one way or another. and uh, But it wasn't until uh, Darwin came along with his book where he codified the thought of racism in the, in the way that he did, which then gave people the authority yeah. now to act out on that. Trust the science. Trust the science. <laughs> That's right. Um, by the way, I wow. was doing some brainstorming over here, doing some searches <clears throat> as Jim was reading, and we were talking about Israel and the name of the hotel they were at after yes, yes, the yes. Allies after World War One, giving Israel that chunk of real estate that the world mm -hmm. says is they're illegally occupying and it was San Remo. There we go. Those are That's called the it. San Remo Accords. Yes, yes. So Israel legally is doing is doing nothing illegal according to the San Remo Accords. Right. That was the point I was trying to get at. Yeah. So pardon me for that that lapse there. All right, let's go here to number, unless you have something else to add. I better let's, not. Let's go to number three here, and this has to do with number three, Marxism's true goal. And as critical race theory invades the culture, I'm somewhat, I guess I'm somewhat shocked, somewhat surprised how the Marxists have been able to put a happy face on their movement. Mm. You know, it's just about equity 
equality, justice, social justice, environmental justice. And you'll notice this meme here from, uh, I found this floating around there on social media. Yeah. The top of it says what kids think about, what, what kids think communism is. Mm-hmm. So here's what the youth think communism is. It's just, yeah. you know, kumbaya, everybody holding mm-hmm. hands together. And then at the bottom, it shows you what communism actually is. Yeah. It always, with a capital A, leads to force through a gun. Right. And socialism leads to communism. Yes. Because under socialist systems... And we're starting to see that today. People start to think, well, why should I get out and work mm-hmm. if uh, the government is going to provide for me and take care, for, take care of me? The yep. incentive to labor, the incentive to work is gone. Well, then socialism paves the way to communism because people don't work in socialism because the safety net has become a, a hammock. Yep. And yep. Uh, then it leads to communism where they say, well, we're going to force you to work. Through the force of a gun. Mm -hmm. So communism always ends in bloody revolution. Mm. Uh, All this stuff about justice, holding hands, equity, equality, all these things the youth are thinking about in terms of critical race theory. This is an angle of communism that they're never given. And that's why I was very intrigued by this quote from Larry Grothwall. Uh, The title of this, it's a YouTube clip. It's um, Larry Grothwall on Ayers. Now, that's Bill Ayers, famous weather underground communist. On Ayers' plan for American re-education camps and the need to kill millions. Mm. Uh, This was uh, posted on YouTube February 27th, 2018. It actually comes from an assertion that Grothwall made in No Place to Hide, The Strategy and Tactics of Terrorism, which was a 1982 film documentary. And I just discovered this quote because I'm currently reading a book by James Simpson. Mm. The title of that book is Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's rampaging Mm -hmm. American left. And this man, Larry, uh, I think you pronounce it, Grothwall, was the only informant to successfully penetrate the Weather Underground organization led by Obama friend and political mentor Mm. Bill Ayers. Grothwall was in the room when Ayers casually described how a post- revolutionary America would require, would require the extermination of 25 million people. Wow. And let's have that. Can you read that quote to us? Yes, sir. And keep, keep in mind who we're quoting. This is the only man who was successful as what did he, an FBI agent in penetrating and, and posing as one of theirs, the weather underground. And so he was privy to all of these conversations And they were very, very open in what is actually going to happen to the United States once uh, the communists get the levers of power. Mm. And what does he say there? All right. We're quoting Mr. Grathwall. 
I, I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. We, we become responsible then for administering, you know, 250 million people. And there were no answers. No one had given any thought to economics. How are you going to clothe and feed these people? The only thing that I could get was that they expected that the Cubans and the North Vietnamese and Chinese and the Russians would all want to occupy different portions of the United States. They also believed that their immediate responsibility would be to protect against what they called the counter-revolution. And they felt that this counter-revolution could best be guarded against by creating and establishing re-education centers in the Southwest where we would take all the people who needed to be re-educated into the new way of thinking and teach them how things were going to be. <laughs> I asked, well, what's going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate that are die-hard capitalists? And the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated. Mm -hmm. And when I pursued this further, they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers. And when I say eliminate, I mean kill mm -hmm. 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia Hello. and other well-known educational centers, and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people, and they were dead serious. Emphasis, quote. emphasis on dead, I guess. But it's interesting that this conversation, and they didn't know this guy, Larry uh, Grothwall, was yeah. not one of theirs. <laughs> so they were just very open, yeah. having a nice uh, yeah. kind of faculty lounge discussion. Tea and crumpets. And um, this, was, this conversation happened when our country was at 20, 250 million. We're well over 300 million exactly. now. Exactly. So that number of 25 million I guess 10% needs to Kick be up. eradicated is going to increase significantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the discussion comes up, how are we going to manage all these people once we get control? And the answer is, well, we're going to take 25 million of them. After ushering in into re-education centers, we're just going to eliminate them. So they're just blatantly talking about the eradication of at least, what is it, 10%? Uh, uh, of the population. Exactly. Um, and, you know, when, when these liberals use this expression progressive, what, what do they mean? They're progressing somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, progressive comes mm -hmm. from the word progress. Right. They're progressing somewhere. Have you ever asked yourself, where are they taking us? <laughs> I mean, what's the end game here? Yeah. This is the end game. That's it. And, and they've done just a brilliant job putting a happy face on it. It's just about racial reconciliation, redistribution of the wealth, reparations. Ah, uh, so what? You can't use your Aunt Jemima syrup anymore. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, so what? So we f feed a little bit of this to your kids in cartoons. Um, that's just uh, icing on the cake. 
Well, that's exactly. Th- this can, is the cake. <laughs> can I interrupt you just for a second? Please. Because what you just said is so critical. You said it's in the cartoons or whatever. This didn't happen overnight. Yeah. They've been preparing for this for decades. Yeah. And, you know, who are they preparing? The useful idiots. Yes. And so here we are. And here we are. And part of the problem, Jim, is our side, you know, for the most part is well-intentioned people. And, and we just don't think other human beings no. could be this bad. We want to think the best. And we have a tendency to, to borrow a modern psychological term, transfer mm-hmm. our motives onto them. Oh, they just have a different political philosophy. Right. right. Um, these people are wicked. They are evil. They are rotten to their core. They Amen. are emissaries of Satan. Amen. And if you could get into their minds for 30 seconds, which is what Larry... Rothwall did here, um, you would want nothing to do with these people and you wouldn't cooperate with them one millimeter. Mm -mm. And I just want people to understand this in this mindset where our kids just think communism is just equity and holding hands and singing kumbaya. Well, those folks who have come from communist countries and are currently residing in the United States, they think we're nuts. Yeah. Why we're tolerating we're, we're, but for tolerating yeah. all of this. And part of the problem is we've lived so long in this country with peace and prosperity. We just yes. can't imagine anything different. That's right. And you have a different mindset from people that have actually lived under this thing. Exactly. They, they know where it ends. Yep. Socialism ends in communism because people don't work in socialism, so they got to be coerced into it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, or if they won't cooperate, they just are part of the 10% that gets re-educated and or eliminated. Yeah. Woo. So I think at some point we need some cold water thrown in our face. We, we do. And I think we we're getting to, it. And we, I hope so. That's why I wanted to surface this quote for yes. people to consider. All right. Let's, you got anything to add to that? I think I better stop. Okay. <laughs> let's move to number four, where we're dealing here with the <clears throat> new world order. And just like anti-Semitism of the last days is a prophetic trend, well, there's very clearly coming upon the earth a one-world government. Yes. And you can see our progress into that as well. One-world government is predicted many places in the Bible, but Mm -hmm. not the least of which is Daniel 7, verse 23. And what does that say? All right. Daniel 7, verse 23. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. This verse is not just talking about a revived... uh, empire in Europe, mm-hmm. revived Rome. I, I don't doubt that Europe has a big place, a big role to play in all of this. Uh-huh. But if words mean anything, what it says is this government of the Antichrist, the fourth beast, the final form of Gentile rule, you know, which will exist before Jesus returns and overthrows it, yes. will cover the whole earth. That's what it says. And we have uh, this slide here, Satan's goal of globalism. If Daniel 7 verse 23 is not enough, you can on your own look up these other verses which teach the same thing. Mm-hmm. Revelation 13, 7 and 8 and verses 16 and 18 not to mention Revelation 17, verse 15. What mm. is being constructed as I speak is a new world order. Yes. And I am old enough to remember, as you are, 
the first politician we ever had using that term in public, mm-hmm. a man by the name of George Herbert Walker Bush, right? Bush 41, Bush the elder, mm-hmm. Bush the senior. And following the Gulf War, he started using the phrase the New World Order. Mm-hmm. And there was such an outcry against his use of the phrase that he quit using it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it was too much, too fast, too soon for the population at that time to handle. Yeah. And I want people to understand that government uh, bureaucrats, politicians are now using the phrase openly. Mm-hmm. It's it's out of the closet. It's not clandestine in any way, shape, or form. And what that shows me is they are very, very close to crossing the finish line. Yeah. And as they get closer and closer to crossing the finish line, they, they feel they're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so brazen Yeah. in using yeah. this expression, the New World Order. And uh, here we have uh, an article from BibleScienceForum.com by John Gideon uh, Hartnett, July 12th, 2021, and it's it says the New South Wales. Now, we have a lot of listeners in Australia, mm-hmm. and boy, they are really under lockdown right now. Yes, they are. And I get all of the yeah. texts and emails and correspondences talking about how severe the lockdown they are under is, as I currently am speaking. Yeah. So this guy, um, his name is Brad Hazard. He is the New South uh, Wales, um, I'm not sure what his title is, minister. I like how these guys all call themselves ministers. Yes, yes. Minister for Health and Medical Research. Mm-hmm. So the New South Wales minister announces the start of, and this is his words, not mine, quote, a new world order. Mm-hmm. Mm. Close quote. So here's wow. an example of a guy just coming out and saying, we want a new world order and get used to it. Mm-hmm. And here's what it's going to look like for the whole world. And what is what does this article say? Okay. New Wales Minister for Health and Medical Research, Brad Hazard, dismissed lockdown concerns as just the way it is, claiming citizens must accept this new world order paradigm. Health Minister Brad Hazard said Saturday, this is a world pandemic. It's a one in 100 year event. So you can expect that we will have transmission from time to time. And that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. But contrary to the implication on InfoWars, the declaration is not on the whole country of Australia, but on the most populous state of New South Wales. As part of Hazard's New World Order, the following measures have been imposed Mm. upon New South Wales citizens. Outdoor gatherings limited to two people. Wow. Exercise permitted no farther than 10 kilometers away from home. Browsing shops, forbidden. One person in household allowed to shop for essentials. Funeral limited to 10 people. I mean, it's just unbelievable. (laughs) It's insane. Um, He says, this is just fine. This is a world pandemic. It's one in a hundred year event. He uses the expression new world order. Mm Mm-hmm. He says, this is the new normal. Get Mm -hmm. used to it. Mm -hmm. 
And I if like you want to have an outdoor event, you get two people. Yeah. If you want to go out and take do some exercise, 10 kilometers away from home. Uh, you can't browse shops. Think that. Think what that does to independent entrepreneurial shop owners. <laughs> Completely destroys their dream. There goes the economy. And their livelihood. Um, <clears throat> someone can go out and shop for essentials. Now, notice you got to... I like that. Uh, you, you, you can't shop for anything. You got to shop for essentials, which they define what those that's, essentials that's are. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> Who defines what an essential is, right? And it's only one person allowed out of the house. And if someone dies, you know, 10 Too people, bad. 10 people yeah. is, is what you get. Cast lots for who gets to go. So if this is not the, the ugly face of the New World Order. It's horrible. I don't know what is. And, you know, this yeah. kind of sounds like some of our bluer states in our country, you know, yes. moving in this uh, direction. Yes. Now, as further evidence of the New World Order, I want to bring your, to your attention this article here from Fox News written by Adam Shaw July the 14th and it has to do with the current mm. Secretary of State under the Biden administration Anthony Blinken and the title of the article is and I when I read stuff like this I feel like I'm living in one of those Twilight Zone mm -hmm. alternative realities <laughs> yeah it says right. Blinken invites UN env envoys, envoys, on racism, minority issues, to visit Venezuela, nope, to visit China, nope, to visit Cuba, nope, to visit the United States. So the United States is inviting the United Nations, which consists of people with the worst human rights <laughs> records on the planet yes. to come to the United States oh and monitor not only our progress in human relations, but in race relations. And of course, rightfully so, this move immediately drew criticism from Senator Marco Rubio. What is that Thank article? Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Right? All right. Here's the article, folks. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on Tuesday announced that he has invited the United Nations envoys on racism and minority issues to visit the U.S., a move that immediately drew criticism, quoting, as the president has repeatedly made clear, great nations such as ours do not hide from our shortcomings. They acknowledge them openly and strive to improve with transparencies, Blinken said in a statement. Blinken said the U.S. will issue a formal standing invitation to all the UN, to all UN experts who report and advise on thematic human rights issues and has already reached out to the UN Special Rapporteur on uh, contemporary forms of racism and the UN Special Rapporteur, I guess I'm saying that right, on minority issues to invite them to make official visit. Earlier this month, the Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories was criticized for remarks he made about Israel when he said he wanted to make it clear to Israel that its illegal occupation and its defiance of international law and international opinion can and will no longer be cost-free. Mm. 
The announcement drew immediate criticism with Senator, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida suggesting that Blinken got the, the UN toward uh, suggesting Blinken point the UN toward authoritarian dictatorships like Cuba instead. At SEC Blinken, in, instead of asking the at UN to come here and tell us how racist America is, I guess this is uh, this is uh, Rubio. This is Rubio. Mm -hmm. So this is he's saying. So instead of asking the UN to come here and tell us racist is uh, how racist America is, why don't you ask them to go to Cuba, where an evil social regime, regime storms into people's homes, beats the crap out of them, and then drags them away, he asked on Twitter. Yeah, in fact, here's a slide of Marco Rubio's tweet responding to Blinken. Yeah. And actually, when you go there, he's got a video. It runs about three to four minutes, mm. and it's horrifying. Oh, my. You, you run that and you see these thugs, these Cuban thugs who are police officers uh -huh. coming in and just beating the daylights out of this family. Yeah. And you can see how hysterical the family is, the mom is. You know, if, if you're going to dispatch the U.N. to go around the world and monitor racism and human rights violations, why don't you send them to Cuba first and foremost, where there's actually real you know, human rights violations going on around the clock. And that's what Rubio is calling out uh, Blinken Lord for. Lord help us. Now, there's a mindset at work, and you see this from former vice presidential Democratic candidate, Senator Tim Kaine, who announced on the Senate floor that, quote, the United oh, States did not inherit slavery from anyone, we created it. <laughs> Close quote. So the, so the UN functions under that presupposition that the real violator of human rights in the world is the United States. Yeah. And now we have a very yeah. liberal, progressive Biden administration that's now inviting the UN in to monitor us when they're ignoring places like Cuba and Muslim countries and Venezuela, et cetera, where uh, China, where actually real human rights and racist violations are taking place. I just want to know, does this senator, has he ever read a book? <laughs> I don't you think know? so. I mean, has he ever read a history book, a, a, a non-revisionist history book? Yeah. Give me a break. Well, you wonder how someone of his standing and countenance could make a statement like that on the Senate floor. Um, here is yes. an, a, a good article from Sonia Elks, and you can see the citation if people want to look that up. But in this article is um, a statement she made, <laughs> slavery is not a crime for almost half the countries around the world. How'd she get away with that? In other words, if you <laughs> want to police slavery, there's plenty of places to go and do that. That's right. But that's not what these progressives want. They want the United Nations, who's got blood on its hands, Lots. to come to our country and uh, basically micromanage us and ignore all the other places of the world where there's actually bonafide racism, bonafide institutional slavery, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying that America is perfect, but boy, she sure looks pretty good in comparison to the rest of the nations around the world, yeah, half of which haven't even illegalized slavery yet. Yeah, I mean, we illegalized slavery 
all the way back to the Civil War days. We sure You've did. You've got half of the world's countries that haven't even done that yet. So if the United States, excuse me, if the United Nations needs needs something to do, I think their work is cut out for them. And the reason I bring this up is I want people to understand something. One of the most important statements you can you can understand to understand Marxism is the following. And this is a well-known Marxist statement, and it goes as follows. The issue is never the issue. Right. Rather, the issue is the revolution. Right. Let me, let me say that again. Mm-hmm. The issue is never the issue. Rather, the true issue is the revolution. And what Marxists mean by that is we're going to selectively use issues for another purpose. In this case, they want to use the issue of race temporarily, and they want to use it to get the United States to acquiesce to the sovereignty of the United Nations. But the, the people pushing this, they don't give a, they don't give a care in the world about nope. true race problems or slavery, or else they'd be raising their voices against Muslim countries where slavery is a reality as I speak. Yep. Human trafficking. Human trafficking. Because the issue is not slavery. No. The issue is not racism. The issue is let's use selectively this issue to promote another agenda, in this case, New World Order, One World Government. And after that issue uh, is no longer useful to us, we'll discard it and we'll move on to another issue. It's just the convenient crisis. It's like the feminists... (laughs) all going out and voting for Bill Clinton. When Bill Clinton mm-hmm. mauled, molested, raped, harassed, and groped, yep. uh, almost every female <laughs> that came near the man. Yeah. Um, why would all of these feminists go out and support him when he is abusing women constantly? Because the issue is not the issue of sexual harassment. The issue is we're going to use it selectively and temporarily. Boy, if a Republican does it, it's the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clarence Thomas does something like that, it's the end mm-hmm. of the world. We're going to use it selectively for an agenda, but we really don't care about that issue. If they really cared about that issue, they wouldn't be supporting Bill Clinton back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it's like um, all of you know the Clintons claimed, uh, what was Hillary running uh, as the... Oh, I can't remember what her her campaign slogan was. Something to do with you know the uh, the year of the woman, the year of the female, all of these kinds of things. When the Clinton Foundation <laughs> was taking money from all over the world, from Islamic countries, yeah, where women are beaten, women are abused, women are forced to wear these, you know, they're killed, uh, killed, stoned to death, <laughs> yeah. Bury you up to your neck and... So so what happened to all the women's rights here? Exactly. Well, well they don't care about women's rights. It's what they care about is the using the issue of women's rights selectively. Yeah. And once that issue has run its course, then we'll just move on to something else. Because the issue is never the issue. Yeah. The issue is the revolution. Women's rights is not about women's rights. It's about using it to promote communism. Yeah. Being concerned about slavery is really not 
what their concern is. Yep. It's using it selectively to promote communism. Education is not about education. Healthcare is not about healthcare. Raising the minimum wage is really not about raising the minimum wage. Well, am I going wrong here? Well, you left out climate change <laughs> and uh, all the other ones too, right? Yeah. And so this is all important to understand as we're being pressed into this new world order. Yeah. And you see that with what's going on in Australia. Bless her You hearts. see that with what Blinken is doing mm. to bring in the United Nations, to police the United States for our supposed racist and humanist human rights violations mm-hmm. while ignoring true human rights violations going on all over the world. Yeah. Because what their ultimate goal is, is not to solve the race issue. It's to lower the United States into less than a free and independent and prosperous nation to make it subservient to the new world order of the future. Amen, brother. Well, let's go here to number five, which is free speech in peril. I understand that God is in control, but from a human perspective of all the issues that make me nervous, from a human perspective, this is it. Free speech. Yeah. Because free speech is very in a very precarious position right now in the United States. Mm-hmm. In my adult lifetime, I've never seen it in the position that it's in. And once yeah, free no. speech is gone, you, you can't get it back. <clears throat> so let's bring ourselves up to speed related to free speech. Uh, here we have an article from the New York Post. Steve Nelson, July the 16th, 2021, and it has to do with a Facebook oversight committee. Oh, boy. And a member of that Facebook oversight committee saying free speech is not, with an N, capital N, (laughs) not an absolute right. And tell us about that. And he said that very freely, didn't he? (laughs) That's right. Here's the article. It's like people that, it's like these, you know, sometimes you get exposed to these Christian educator types. Yes. And they want to come into your church and they want to say, now you can't use the lecture method to teach. You got to turn everything into a discussion. And I'm thinking to myself, well, aren't you using the lecture method right now? (laughs) Telling me not to use the lecture method. Hello. (laughs) Right. All right. Here's the article, folks. A Facebook oversight board member says free speech is not an absolute right and must be weighed against other human rights when deciding what content to censor. The board member, former Danish Prime Minister Hele Thornig Schmidt, said free speech is not an absolute human right. It has to be balanced. Well, he just said it It has to be balanced with other human rights. I should use an accent here, shouldn't I? She said this. This is a she. She said Thursday at the Political Europe event, the oversight board includes five Americans and 15 members from Europe, Africa, Latin America, and Asia. The U.S. has strong legal and cultural support for the free distribution of information. Other countries have starkly different standards, some even mandating digital censorship. The European Union guarantees a right to be forgotten, (laughs) meaning people can have information removed from websites, going so far as to allow murderers' names to be removed from online search results for news articles. 
The U.S. Constitution's First Amendment bans the government from abridging the freedom of speech. Trump lawyer John Cole said the suits would prove that social media companies are government actors and that therefore the First Amendment does apply to their actions. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki admitted Thursday at her daily press briefing that the Biden administration has been flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation. So here's a member of the Facebook board, wow. overseeing board, saying that free speech is not an absolute right. This is very similar to what Biden said uh, a month or two ago concerning the Second Amendment. Yes. It's not an absolute right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she talks here about how the right of free speech needs to be balanced against other rights. Well, what other rights are they talking about? The right not to be humiliated. The right not to be offended. They call that hate speech. So if you say something against homosexuality, Mm. you can be pulled off Mm. social media because you're using your rights to humiliate somebody else in their minds. Mm -hmm. When all we're doing is standing up for biblical truth. Mm -hmm. And so this is what they mean by free speech is not absolute. This is how they, they think about it and why she says it has to be balanced with other rights. Which are basically made up. I mean, do you find a, a right in our Constitution? Well, about that's what I was just thinking the, the, about. The right actually. to not be humiliated. <clears throat> and look at who these people are. Five. There's only five Americans on this oversight board. <laughs> Fifteen members from Europe, Africa, Latin America, Asia, and the article says other countries have starkly different standards. <laughs> Yeah. And you, you you better believe yeah. that one. Yeah. And the more we drift into this murky new world order and the more we're involved with these social media titans that that are really global, mm. uh, the mm. more you can expect free speech to disappear because the American understanding of it is very different than what you have around the oh, world. Yes, it is. The American understanding, remember the Declaration of Independence? I do. Gives us our rights because they come from God. Yes. John Adams was very clear on this point, America's second president. What did he say? I like John Adams. He said, rights are antecedent to all earthly government. Rights cannot be repealed or restrained by human laws. Rights are derived from the great legislature of the universe. That's why Americans think differently about this. <laughs> Yeah. than those in Europe yeah, because we have a declaration of independence that gives us our rights from above. Amen. And what God giveth, human government can't take away. That's what Adams is getting at there. But not so in the European Union. There, they, there is a right to be forgotten. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> now, here's a word. Here's, and, and notice this last <clears throat> sentence here. Um, it talks about the Biden administration has been flagging yeah. problematic posts hmm. for Facebook for Facebook that spread disinformation. So the Biden administration then is influencing a private company to make decisions concerning whose posts are seen and whose are taken down. That's an example of what you call corporate fascism. Yeah, where um, the government may not 
control uh, may not own a business, mm -hmm. but it certainly is controlling how it's run. Uh -huh. That's exactly what our founding mm -hmm. fathers warned against. That's yes. corporate fascism. And I hope people get used to this word here, disinformation. Yep. Every time you see the word disinformation out there, what you need to do is you need to cross it out and write in the word censorship. Yep. That's censorship right. is not used. Disinformation is used. Mm -hmm. And this is all an attack on free speech. Yep. And if all of that weren't bad enough, Brother Jim, here's this article from Politico. <clears throat> Dot com by um, a couple of authors, one of whom is named Eugene Daniels, July 13th, 2021, and the title of it is Potentially a Death Sentence. White House goes off on, now I'm not going to use the dreaded V word, or we <gasps> might get pulled off the internet ourselves, goes off on blank fear mongers. The administration has shifted to a head-on strategy to dispel fear-mongering over its door-to-door -door efforts. And what does that brief sentence say? All right. Biden-allied groups, including the Democratic National Committee, are also planning to enact fact-checkers more aggressively and work with short message service carriers to dispel, here's the other word, misinformation that is sent over social media and text messages. Okay, let's cross out misinformation. I'm just going to write in there, Brother Jim, censorship. Very good. And what was interesting to me concerning this is they're not just doing this on social media. They're doing it with text messages. This is text messaging. Yeah. And they're doing this with what they call SMS carriers, short message service carriers. Right. In other words, what they're doing now is they're going into your private texts. Mm -hmm. And if you had, happen to say something in a private conversation that contradicts the government narrative, then the Biden administration has the authority, according to what is being said here, to influence these social message service carriers to interrupt your message mm -hmm. or to prevent you from communicating. Right. I mean, how, how is that any different than two people on a telephone talking and the government is listening mm -hmm. and suddenly they don't like what you're saying and they come in and they interrupt the conversation? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing for them to do this on Facebook. That's bad enough. It's another thing for them to interfere with your private texts, mm -hmm. and that's the door that's being opened here. Yes, sir. And that's why free speech, I believe, is in a very precarious position. It's corporate fascism where the government is influencing private companies, social media, and short message services to control information mm -hmm. or call it misinformation, mm -hmm. disinformation – that's another word for saying censorship, mm -hmm. right down to controlling a private conversation between two private citizens. Uh, we are really, <laughs> you know, the death of free speech, that might be an understatement. Big brother. Big brother is watching. <clears throat> and, yep. uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and the real scary, the, really the scary thing about it is they're not just talking about doing it. They can do it. The, yeah. That, that's what's scary. Yeah. Uh, they can do it. They have the ability to do it. They are doing it. And they're telling us they're doing it. Yeah. 
and they're telling us that free speech is not an absolute right. Yeah. Um, it mm. goes on here. We have this article from the Federalist.com, July the 19th, 2021 by Haley Strack. And the title of it is White House says nothing is off the table when it, com- <laughs> when it comes to using big tech. That's a private business oh, that boy. they're influencing. Using big tech to silence dissent. To silence dissent. Wow. All right, folks, here it is. I don't, quoting, I don't think we've taken any op- options off the table. That's up to Congress to determine how they want to proceed moving forward, Saki said. We're not in a war or a battle with Facebook. We're in a battle with the virus. The problem we're seeing that our Surgeon General elevated last week is that inaccurate information, so I better put that one in there too, right. is killing people. Saki's latest comments come after bragging last week about the White House's collusion with big tech oligarchs to suppress dissent. Quoting, We've increased disinformation research and tracking within the Surgeon General's office, Saki said Thursday. Continuing, We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook, for Facebook, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect medical experts who are popular with our audiences with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we are helping get trusted content out there. Close quote. So she says here, clearly, I don't think we've taken any options off the table. So this is a frontal assault on free speech that we're watching. And why are they doing it, Brother Jim? Well, they're upset about disinformation, Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. upset about people dying. Let me say something as clearly as I know how to say it. These people could care less about people dying. (laughs) That's right. Now, Now, why do I say that? Because when it comes to abortion... They, they have no restrictions whatsoever on abortion. Yeah. I don't think there's any kind of abortion leading to infanticide itself that these progressives are not open cheerleaders for. Right. I mean, if they really remember, the issue is never the issue. There it is. <laughs> the issue is the revolution. I mean, if these people really cared about people dying, they would care about the grisly procedure of abortion where a million and a half per year, hearts and brainwaves stop because of abortion. They don't care about abortion. Mm. What they care about is all of this COVID stuff that's gone on recently where you've got, what is it, less than 1%, 1% 1 of 1% chance of dying, Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And they want to use that pandemic as a rubric for controlling speech and controlling thought. And notice this line here. They want to collude with big tech oligarchs yes. to suppress dissent. Well, she bragged about it. And they're bragging about it. This is the White House bragging about it. This is Saki. And you'll notice the corporate fascism again. Yep. I thought private businesses were private businesses. No, we're going we're gonna to be in collusion with them Mm-mm-mm. to suppress ideas. But we're going to use it as an excuse we're saving lives. While all at the same time turning a blind eye to abortion, because the issue really is not the issue. The issue is the revolution. That's pragmatism. Pragmatism. Mm-hmm. And I want to throw this in also, if all of this weren't bad enough. There's another form of free speech that's being demolished as I speak. 
This comes from a Fox News article written by Samuel or Sam Dorman. July the 16th, 2021, the title of it is SCOTUS, stands for the Supreme Court of the United States. SCOTUS decision on refusing service to same-sex couple was devastating. Christian Florist says, Baronel Stutzman stands by her strong faith in God despite setback. Now, this is a group of cases that have been pretty well documented, winding our way through our judicial system. And it has to do with members of the creative industry, whether they're florists or cake makers. Yeah. And suddenly some same-sex couple comes into your place of business and they know you're an evangelical Christian that has biblical convictions. That's why they're there. That's why they're there. They don't, Notice they don't harass Muslim-owned no. and operated mm-hmm. bakeries. Yeah. Because the Islamic stance on might get hom- homosexuality, yeah, mm-hmm. might get you killed, is a lot more severe than the biblical stance. It is. Goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. So they come into these evangelical-owned and operated businesses, and they demand that you use your skills that God gave you to promote their debased, sinful, perverted lifestyle. Yep. Let me switch the facts around a little bit just so people can understand this, because this is the death of the right to operate a business according to your conscience. Let's say you are a Jewish owned and operated bakery where you have family members, you know, in your family lineage, or maybe you yourself are a Holocaust survivor. Mm -hmm. You know, you can still look at grandfather and great grandfather's arm and you can still see the number there. And he's a Holocaust survivor Mm -hmm. and some Nazis come into your place of business and they demand that you create a Nazi cake with a swastika on it Mm -hmm. and you make it for our Nazi parade or our Nazi party or our Nazi event that's coming up and the court won't step in and help you and you're coerced and forced to use your skills in a way that would violate your conscience. Is that not a demolition or destruction of the First Amendment? Yes, sir. And this is what's been happening with Jack Phillips in Colorado. Yeah. Baronel Stutzman, I want to say she's either in Washington or Oregon, I can't remember. But now the United States Supreme Court won't even take her case. Mm. I mean, what what's the judiciary there for? To protect your First Amendment rights. And they just turned a blind eye to it. And I wanted to read her story because she has a wonderful attitude. Yes. She's obviously a very committed Christian. Yes about suffering for the cause of Christ in the devil's world. And what does that article say? For nearly a decade, Stutzman has been fighting a lawsuit over her refusal to serve a same-sex wedding for religious reasons. After the Washington Supreme Court twice ruled against her, the nation's highest court declined to take the case. In what conservatives saw as a missed opportunity to bring justice. The American Civil Liberties Union, which sued on behalf of the same-sex couple, Kurt Freed and Rob Ingersoll, argued that Stutzman discriminated on the basis of sexual orientation. Stutzman has maintained that her beliefs lead her to serve everyone equally. Prior to the suit, she spent years serving Ingersoll, quoting Robin Kurt, 
They have every freedom to live as they want, and I'm just asking for that same freedom, she said. That sounds reasonable to me. Amid the adverse ruling, the 76-year-old grandmother is standing by her convictions and faith in God. She sounds like a real threat. She's a 76-year-old grandmother. Yeah. Quoting, sure, I want to win, and yes, I want everything to go smooth. But he doesn't promise that, meaning God here, I'm assuming. She said, he just says, be obedient and be faithful. Hmm. And that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's just a trust level all the way around. If you don't trust in God's word, then you don't have anything to trust in. We all have to figure out where our line is that we won't cross. And I would say that to them. But I will say that if they do follow Christ, that he will supply all their needs and he will give them the strength and the courage and whatever it takes. She also discussed how her faith had changed during the process, quoting, It's changed a lot. You read the Bible and you go past these verses and then all of a sudden they have to be true. And God promises that he'll take care of you when he promises if he asks you to do something, he will give you the tools to do it. And all that came about. My prayer life, ever since this started, my prayer was, God, however you use it, prepare me for it. And he has done that. I mean, he has been so faithful with that. Close quote. These are wonderful words of the right view of suffering. Yes. I have to tell you, as I was putting this together, I was somewhat convicted, you know, by this. Because she's basically saying, this is my Christian duty. Right. You know, as a disciple of Christ Mm -hmm. to do this. But the bottom line is she doesn't want to use the abilities God gave her as a, what is she, a florist? or a cake decorator, florist in this case, to subsidize sin. Now, is she a bigot for that? No. She's standing on a position that Christianity has agreed on for 2,000 years. Yes. In fact, this issue of homosexuality, if you go back to the Mosaic Code, the Bible is clear on that 1,500 years before the time of Christ. Right. She's, she's standing on what Christians have always stood on. Right. I don't want to use my creative abilities to promote something that the Bible says is sin. And now she finds herself on the wrong side of the legal system. The Supreme Court won't even take her case to vindicate her. Right. And what you're watching is the destruction of the First Amendment, not just in terms of censorship. That would be bad enough. Mm-hmm. But you're watching it in terms of the legal system coercing your hand to do something that God says is wrong. Mm -hmm. And now Christians all over the United States are having, this is not the Soviet Union or Russia (laughs) or China. It sounds like it. But they're having to choose between their occupation and their biblical convictions. Right. And in a country where... The First Amendment used to be alive and well. The Supreme Court, I guess, is too busy with other things to to take up this case. And so all of this goes under the rubric of the destruction of the First Amendment. It's shameful. Let's move to our last category here, Brother Jim, and that has to do with cashless. Um, in this cultural and prophecy update, we're just trying to bring up things in the culture war 
and things that are setting the stage for the end times. Right. Uh, we remember very well Revelation 13, 16 through 18, which predicts that the time would come when there will be a cashless society. Yes. What, what are those? Why don't, you, why don't you read those verses to us? All right. Revelation chapter 13, 16 through 18. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So we're moving into this cashless society. And one of the things that's pushing us in this direction is something on the horizon called the digital dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Here is a brief excerpt from the trumpet.com written by Andrew Miller, June the 23rd, 2021. The title of it is The Federal Reserve Moles the Digital Dollar, hmm. which is a new kind of, uh, and he says here, a new kind of warfare is coming, whether the United States is ready for it or not. Yeah. What is this digital dollar? The Federal Reserve has announced that the United States is moving forward with plans to design a central bank digital currency, an idea dubbed the digital dollar or FedCoin. Now that over 3,000 ATMs in Beijing are offering digital yuan withdrawals, Federal Reserve Governor Lyle Brainerd is claiming that digital currency could significantly alter the global financial system. The U.S. must win the CBDC race if it wants to maintain the dollar's dominant global reserve currency status. The Federal Reserve's proposed digital dollar would be worth $1. Users would have to register their mobile let me say it again. Users would have to register their mobile phones and download an app to make deposits or transfer money. But all the information needed to verify these transactions would exist in a digital wallet. You would not even need a bank account to use these wallets, as the Federal Reserve would control the transfers. This has many private and commercial banks worried. It also has libertarians and civil rights advocates worried, since a digital currency run by the Federal Reserve would be a nightmare for privacy. <laughs> this gives these banks and the governments that support them the power to monitor every digital monetary transaction. For example... China is already using a digital yuan as an Orwellian mass surveillance tool, and many fear the U.S. may follow in China's footsteps. Tech writer Naomi Brockwell is worried that a digital dollar could allow the U.S. government to automatically deduct taxes, freeze funds more easily, and program money that sits in a bank account to become worthless if it sits too long in order to encourage spending. What might a cashless society look like? 
using blockchain technology, if a citizen misses an automobile payment, he could be electronically locked out of his car. He could also be locked out of his apartment. Even his electricity or water supply could be automatically denied as soon as he stopped paying the bills or his bills. Citizens who do not pay taxes could be excluded from all public services, purportedly to prevent them from cheating the system. The power a cashless society would give authorities over their citizens is frightening. So if, if we lose the use of cash, you lose your independence and you lose your freedom because now the government has a electronic footprint of everything you spend money on. Yeah. And they know from that profile whether you're a problem against their narrative or their system or not. That's why the name of the game is to phase out cash and move us into something. Maybe it's this digital dollar. Something. I mean, could you imagine missing an autom- automobile payment and then all of a sudden you're <clears throat> electronically locked out of your car? Yeah, so how are you going to get to work to make the money to pay the bill you couldn't pay? I don't know. You're like a laboratory rat, basically. You, it's ridiculous. And then you're locked out of your, also you're locked out of your apartment. And then your electricity and water supply is automatically denied the moment you do something that gives you a negative social credit score. Um, if you don't pay your taxes, you're excluded from public services. Hmm. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And by the way, when they come up with this digital dollar, I can guarantee you this. Here's the purchasing power of the dollar. It will shrink dramatically. Yeah. That's why they want this digital dollar. It's the way to make an adjustment for the economic mess that they created. Yeah. I mean, they have spent us into the oblivion, yep. trillions and trillions oh, and trillions of dollars of debt. Oh, so now the, yeah. the value of the dollar needs to shrink, and the digital dollar contributes to that process. Mm. Not only does it destroy privacy, but it contributes to the process of a diminished dollar. And this is exactly what the Bible said would happen in the last days concerning the coming cashless society. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, if imagine everything going digital, all your finances are digital. What if you got a nut in there <laughs> who decided that I think I'll pay off the trillion dollars of debt that we owe and all of a sudden America's bankrupt. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, it will never happen, right? But, <laughs> sure. you know. Well, on that happy Ooh. note, I hope people have enjoyed at least <clears throat> becoming informed, I guess, in this uh, prophecy and cultural update. We've seen anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. We've seen how critical race theory is being used to promote only evolution in the public school system. We've seen the true goal of Marxism. Yeah. Uh, We've seen the progress into the New World Order, which also will involve the destruction of free speech and the advent of a cashless uh, society. You know, we always like to end, Brother Jim, with a note of hope. You know, things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. That's right, they are. And what does the Lord promise us in Titus 2, verse 13? All right. Titus 2, 13, folks looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's interesting as a Christian, we can, we can analyze this stuff honestly. Mm-hmm. 
and look at it square in the face because our hope in this world does not come from these humanistic things. Right. I mean, it comes from Jesus yeah. who's promised to return and to rescue us out of this world mm-hmm. and to take us to the Father's house. That's really Amen. our blessed hope. Amen. And it's it's easy to lose that, isn't it? Yeah. So we need to keep the focus where the focus needs to be. Yes. Uh, I don't have any other comments other than just to say thank you for tuning in and watching faithfully. We so appreciate what you know what you bring to the table for us. We, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. So thank you for that. We're praying for you. We think about you often. And uh, go to church this Sunday. Amen. God bless you. See you next time. God bless. 